Yeah. So, uh, I was gonna wait till the show started, but I'm very superstitious too. Like so I have what? to do the same thing over, like uh-huh. before every speech, I do the same thing over and over again. What is the same thing that you do? Like, like I listen every to a speech? playlist, the same songs in order every time. Like I have to, I have to eat the same thing. It's it's uh, it's been like that since like my childhood. I'm gonna wait till the podcast starts, but the yeah, podcast like has that. started, my friend. Oh, it did. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So I just do that. I just hit the button and we go. Okay. Perfect. So so walk me walk me through your pre speech routine. That is a phenomenal starter uh well i'm very superstitious been like that since i was a kid since i played basketball like when i was winning tournament mvps and i got necklaces and rewards for it but whenever i have a bad game i'll like starve myself for like at least two hours it's a weird thing but it it, it helps me Mm -hmm. but like when i'm giving my speeches for like my tedx talk or my speech in Carbondale, or the speech where I gave in front of uh, Chicago with a crowd of like 5,000 people, I listen to the same songs over and over again. <laughs> it is Panic at a Disco, and it goes this order. It, oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry, okay. Panic at a Disco, High Hopes, Panic at a Disco again, <laughs> New Perspective, Panic at a Disco, Bohemian Rhapsody, not the Queen's version, uh-huh. the and uh, Urie version, and then... Uh, a Man in the Wilderness is a rock and roll song. And then last but not least, uh, this song from My Hero Academia, I Want to Be a Hero. Like those same songs over and over again before every single speech. I have to hear it. I zone out. And I'm just like listening to it. Um, I, I feel the salty winds come in like with a new perspective. And I'm like, okay, I'm in here. I'm in here. And I know they'll never win. Like, I know they'll never win because I can't give up. I can't surrender. And some, oh, and also, I always listen to a Dr. King speech uh, every single time. I listen to Bob Dylan's uh, before some speeches, too. Um, yeah, every single time I have to get into the mood, I have to feel the spirit. I, um, I, I always hear these civil rights songs. Um, I ain't going to let nobody turn me around. Um, it, it's just, it, it helps, it helps me, it helps me zone out to know that this is bigger than me. Like, I'm like, when I think about the people before me, like when I think about, uh, Father Brown has to saw segregation, my granny saw segregation, my next door neighbor, Mr. Banks saw segregation, Mrs. Matthews, my academic advisor, all saw signs saying no color. And to have that opportunity to hear the music that they listen to to feel that bravery to go out there to say I'm a person is is remarkable. And that's why I have to listen to it every single time. I'm very superstitious. I have to go in that order. And um, remarkable is a great way to describe this podcast, episode 28 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to Travis Washington, uh, an interesting person who has been to Carbondale, uh, who has left Carbondale, who is back through Carbondale for the moment being. So really an, an exciting thing for me uh, in terms of like the format of the show. Like I, he's the first person to have gone, come back, and like right now he's just in, in a holding pattern um, in Carbondale for a short period of time. So like we're, we're in between mm-hmm. what he has done and what he's going to do and, and what he's done here as well. So that, that is just, it's cool. Uh, that's, I'm excited to have that. Um, WTF Carbondale. Episode eight of, or 28 of the podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives, and we tie it all back together to this little place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And the best part is I don't have to 
I don't have to educate you too much on the format either, because <laughs> like I got I got a stand in Travis Washington. <laughs> <laughs> it took three episodes. I was like, "Whoa, what time is it?" It was one of those things because it's so interesting to hear people's perspective on Carbondale. Like, uh, I'll just go right into how I ended up here. Um, so I was really good at basketball. I had looks with that. Um, I've had I I end up quitting that because there was some bumping heads with the coach. It was very mentally abusive at one point where I just started doing track. And I even played football for you. I hated football. Every single second of football, I hated it. <laughs> like, it's cool to watch, but I it's not that I wasn't good. It's just I hated it. Yeah, I hated it. And then when I was like, okay, I can't learn these plays, that's when I gave it all in track. And I went from jumping the season starting out at 36 feet to 44 feet in one season. I was winning medals, and I'm like, I'm going to go – uh, uh, do track in college and then my parents were like you're not going to the Olympics you're not going to the NBA and I was like well ouch <laughs> 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 you're going to SIUC I was mad at first but now that I got my master's degree it was good I end up coming here um, I was a CD student um, didn't score high on the AC2 and SIU is one heck of an opportunity um, they gave me all the the supplies I needed, the tutors I needed. And I know that if I went to any other university, I wouldn't be successful. I met my best friends here. I discovered who I was because uh, I had a colonized mind. I had this idea of inferiority to somebody white. And Africana studies and being here has helped me evolve. Yeah, and the crazy thing is uh, my uh, best friends, the my man Daryl's out there, uh, Xavier's out there, but my best friends end up becoming uh, Nick, uh, Nate, Toby, and uh, Nick's uh, wife now, uh, Hannah, um, who have, they're all white, and they have even guided me. And I'm like, you, it's crazy who you learn from. Mm-hmm. And the crazy, you don't want to hear another story is that all of them met their significant other at SIU. I was the last one. That, like, <laughs> I met my fiance at SIU, and I was like, well, okay. Even my friend Daryl, who um, left SIU, he's like, oh, the world is mine. I can get any girl now. Ends up dating somebody from SIU. <laughs> it's like it's like it's it's amazing how SIU has influence over you. It 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 really is. Um, I end up leaving, going to uh, I'm a full time math teacher out there in Kansas, and then the school was closed down because of COVID. Now I'm back here, and I saw your podcast. I'm like, let me get on here. Like <laughs> I was three episodes in. <laughs> Yeah. And it, and it just planned it out. No, a, an interesting thing about Carbondale in terms of like you're, you're talking about having to challenge the colonized mind. Yeah. Right. And and something about Carbondale. Right. So so it's this it's this progressive place in the middle of, mm-hmm. you know, conservative rural America. But like, let's be real. There's really solid entrenched racism in Carbondale. Right. In like mm-hmm. a very special way. It's like it, it is some whiteness and some racism that. For somebody who is young and driven and like wants to change a mindset, can like come in here and challenge and not just like use it to challenge themselves, but also challenge the system at large that exists around them mm-hmm. that they may not have grown up with, but like they're in the midst of now and now they get to push back on it. And I ask people which one is, I ask somebody who had their PhD what's worse internalized racism or institutionalized racism. <laughs> and he says, internalized. And I, as I've gotten older, it is more internalized because if you accept that you are inferior, then anybody can walk all over you. Mm-hmm. Is whether or not you believe that you are worthy. And 
the craziest thing is, I like this. Let me tell you how bad racism has affected me. Like in seventh grade, I remember I went to a predominantly popular uh, black school where there was a lot of successful black lawyers, teachers, even the principal was black. But when it was Black History Month, I was angry. Mm-hmm. And I was like seeing all these posters. And now that I'm here and no longer accepting of that inferiority, I'm kind of ashamed of it, but I'm not because it put me on this journey to accept who I am. Mm-hmm. And I get. And and I've so far exceeded what I was. And I'm like, no, that's just the system and how it brought you up to make you feel like you're not worthy. And we do grow up in a white male perspective society. We do. (laughs) My favorite superhero is white. Uh (laughs) My favorite actor is white. Uh, uh, What I tell you about Star Wars was created by somebody white but had influence over (laughs) me and Uh guided me to where I need to go. But even though that has uh, brought me here and brought me forth, I have to learn that you have to find that just because uh, you learn from something white doesn't mean you lose your identity. Mm -hmm. Just because it inspires you, you cannot lose your identity. And um, one thing, my favorite slave narrative was by Ellen and William Craft, where uh, it was about a white woman who was enslaved in Louisiana. And she said, the following facts are sufficient to prove he who has the power shall trample the sacred rights of the weak, no matter the color of their skin. I come to find out that white people were enslaved in Louisiana, kidnapped, bought, Native Americans, black people even bought slave and purchased people. So I began to realize the system as a whole, yes, institutionalized and racism is there, but oppression is wrong no matter who has the power. And that that that's just that that's why why I've seen I've grown. I went from uh just being Democrats enough to no, not just being Democrats enough, accepting the whole institution as a whole. And it's not just um, white people oppressing black people, it's oppression universally. Because the world is bigger than, there's 193 countries. There's somebody brown or black oppressing somebody white and somebody white oppressing somebody white as well. Or brown and black people oppressing somebody else brown and black. It's a whole system that needs to be uh, changed and warped. So what was the first thing that you did where you felt like you really stood up and like against the idea of oppression that you have identified now uh, and help to like mold a better understanding uh, from your own perspective? What helped was uh, <laughs> I was a slow reader. I've grown, but uh, it was after my first semester of African studies and I was an RA this summer and I remember my uh, TV breaking and I was so pissed and I remember throwing something against the wall and he cut a light on and it was like this glowing light over the slave narrative book, like, ah, like in the movie. <laughs> and I was like, darn it, I guess I got to read this summer. <laughs> and then I started reading. I started with Nat Turner. I started with Ellen William Craft. Then I started with Equiano. And then the, the slave narrative, because I was very ignorant at first, that I hated the most was the Frederick Douglass slave narrative, was because he used so many big vocabulary words. I remember I had to highlight. Go to a dictionary. I was like, look, Frederick, I'm a slow reader. You're adding to it. Like, I did not like him because I was like, dude, every other page I had a highlight to expand um, my vocabulary. But it was it was a slow progression. And then uh, the situation where I ended up giving a speech wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt was when uh, Leilani was threatened. And I was like, whoa, like, okay. And then I worked in the Capitol. And um, starting to see the importance of voting and how uh, the system works, like voting, that matters. When somebody's like, my vote don't count, I'm like, uh, if it didn't, they wouldn't be suppressing it. <laughs> and 
to have this firm belief in yourself, like the hands up act, like this is where all like all those readings, all those times I was reading, putting in work, staying inside to read because I, I wanted to be the smartest person in the room. I wanted to be the best leader I can be. Yeah. Like I had that special feeling since I was like in first grade, you're going to do something big. You're going to do something big. I'm like, what is it? But I had to educate myself in order to reach that level. And the hands up act, it it it, it looks um, like oh wow, it's moving, it's moving pretty fast. But I'm like, no, it it it's a one step at a time progression that I've uh, come to learn. Patience, like I told you, Yoda said, experience <laughs> is the best teacher, and like learning to wait and being still and realizing it's bigger than me. Yeah. The um, now I got you on this and figure figure out where the heck I was trying to go. Mm-hmm. Um. Were you at the Illinois State Capitol or were you in D.C.? Oh, Illinois State Capitol. Okay, so Illinois State Capitol. Yeah. Is that where you latched on to the idea of like legislation and policy is the thing to move the needle? Or did the idea come before the time in Springfield? Uh, the idea? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> See, I was a system thinking like, oh, yeah, let's, let me be in the system. But all change has come outside the system that mm-hmm. I've become to learn. When I was in the Capitol... I was doing things most people weren't doing as an intern, the $15 minimum wage bill I was working on. My pharmaceutical uh, report was read by a state rep. I was doing these things in the Capitol. And I'm like, why? I have all this uh, knowledge. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like, when I talk to other people in the Capitol, they didn't know these things. And I was coming into a situation where I'm like, I knew more than most. And I'm like, okay, like. All these hours that I put in the gym, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> actually reading, like in class, uh, there's a reason why I got some CDs in college, because in class, I was actually reading Huffington Post articles and Think, Think Progress uh-huh. articles, articles instead of paying attention in class. I'm like, why, why do I know more than some people? But it's like, that, that was just my determination. But when I left the Capitol, I've learned that you have to draw attention from the outside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to move legislation. Nothing wrong with these state reps. There's a lot of good people. I hate yeah. when people say, oh, all politicians are dirty. No, it's just they have 100 problems. Yeah, Your problem uh, might mean more to you than my problem. Like uh, the greatest example, my dad's like universal health care, right? That's his issue. Mm-hmm. My mom's issue is uh, like just say jobs. Mm-hmm. My issue I love to is foreign policy. Yeah. Everybody's issue is more important than the other. And I can't say that issue is more important than the next person. Like Medicaid, to me, that that's important. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that 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 crosses all racial barrier lines. Like those a lot of people are like, oh, how did that governor win in Ohio and West Virginia? I'm like, well, they expanded Medicaid. Yeah. Like I can't argue with somebody that like you have you if you're a Republican, you believe in Medicaid, you have no beef with me. <laughs> like that, that's how I feel. That and I, and I, that's one thing I also learned is that it's just not the right. It's not just the left. It's the top manipulating a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people don't want us to uh, get along. But one thing I've learned with the system is that uh, it takes outside influence. It takes a lot of outside influence. Well, and, and I, I've 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 learned that. I've watched other people learn that over the past several years. Like just seeing, uh, Carbondale is like this little laboratory of like, you know, social experimentation because of all the different types of people and all the different interests that exist in a very small, arguably group of people between 
you know, the institutions that are that are larger, like a healthcare system, a city government, or a you know state-ran uh, university, right? Mixed in with the interest of all the people that just live everyday lives, mixed in with the business interests of people who want to, you know, either use the place to make money and take it elsewhere or use the money, use the place to make money and keep it here. Yes. Right. And, and all of these different interests pulling in lots of different directions with different perspectives from gender, race, yes. religion, yes. you know, uh, you know, uh, economic, mm-hmm. um, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, like all of those different components are very representative of America. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, and I, and I explain all of that in, in conversation to get around to the main idea of it takes outside influence to move the actual policymakers that are on the inside of the system. Absolutely. Right. And so what you see in Carbondale is everybody's got their own interest group, whether it's, you know, three people or 300 people yes. in a group, right? There, there are, everybody is out there making their pull and they'll go to a board of trustees meeting. They'll go to a city council meeting. They'll go to a Jackson County um, um, board meeting. They will go and engage with, you know, people that make policy at a state and federal level that influences what's going on here. And they'll like fight for it from external influence, and you'll see the outcome of that one way or the other. And I, I don't know. It's just it's it's neat because in a larger city like a Chicago, it's going to get lost, right? Because everybody's going to work on their own thing. And there's going to be so many people yes. available there to work with you on your one thing. You're going to stay so narrowly focused on that. But in Carbondale, you're only going to have so many people to work on your one thing, and you're going to have to cross paths with yes. so many other people that want to work on their yes. own thing, but also have an interest in your thing too. Yes, 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 absolutely. And um, one thing that I've learned over these years is, uh, <laughs> is that a lot of people are taught not to think. They're really not. Mm-hmm. They're taught not to think outside uh, the box. And it's, it's, it's disappointing because it's, sometimes it's a very lonely road. Mm-hmm. Like when I talk about foreign policy, why is my number one issue? Because I, I used to think, ah, it's not important to, I'm obsessed with it. I was invited out to go to the Netherlands before mm-hmm. uh, COVID happened to study diplomacy. I ended up doing a certificate online. But like, What's outside of you actually influences the inside. Mm-hmm. Like when I tell people, this Iraq war we spent $5 trillion on, we got $1.5 trillion in student loan debt, we got a D-plus on infrastructure, that's where all the money went. Yeah. Or when I explain, the best part of having a, a, a stage, and thank you for this podium, and this is why I love the Hands Up Act, because it gives me uh, power to talk about other issues, especially uh-huh. something that I love, like foreign policy, like this whole Russia thing, Russia, 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 Russia. And why I tell people is that all this done is that when we focus on what I saw with CNN, what I don't like about MSNBC and CNN is that they talk about the Trump. They're not uh-huh. talking about his policies. They're talking uh-huh. about what he did today. I'm like, that two million people lost their health insurance. Yeah, uh, He repealed the Clean Water Act. Let's focus on that, not how he blinked today, how he looked today, mm-hmm. or they're like, oh, he's shaking hands with Russia. He pulled out an INF, uh, this nuclear deal, right? Russia has increased their uh, nuclear spending, and they had an accident in the United States. We're using this Russia, Russia, Russia propaganda, and our Department of Defense budget is at $768 billion. We, we don't have enough for infrastructure. We're just blaming them for everything. And I'm like, guys... 
we're both nuclear powers. We need good relations. Mm-hmm. And and I, I hate when people are so caught up in that propaganda, but I'm like, I, there's like we're so focused on them that we, we forget that, like, hey, we have sanctions on Iran that's, like, starving people. Mm-hmm. We have uh, uh, troops still in Afghanistan and Iraq, and, and 10,000 civilians died last year. Like, the world's a big place, and, and you have to take some type of accountability and, and responsibility, but it, we're not taught to think outside the box. And that, that's one thing. That's why I'm like, diplomacy, diplomacy, diplomacy. My three Ds, diplomacy, diplomacy, diplomacy. <laughs> like, because... When I see somebody like, oh, they get all scared, I'm like, those 193 million people in Russia don't want to be blown to bits like we don't want to be yeah. blown to bits. Mutually assured destruction. Yeah, and exactly. And that's why I hate TV shows like Madden Secretary. We're like, I, I, I turned it off after the first season because it's like you're, you're, you're saying all this about making these people look like Russia look like these angry, mean uh-huh. people. And I'm like, they're people too. And before we talk about them and their problems, we prevent it to – Million minorities from voting in 2016. Yeah. And we threw away five, and Greg Powell reported that we threw four million ballots in the garbage. A lot of people are like, oh, we don't like Hillary. I'm like, well, four million people were prevented from voting. I'm like, we, 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 before we talk about their problems, and we got to look at ourselves. That's and, American exceptionalism. Yeah, exactly. And that's one <laughs> thing. I'm reading Dr. King's book now. It's like when we talk about, uh, Delivering freedom all over the world is like, what about here? Like, <laughs> hey, okay. How, you know, I mean, what Viet, in Vietnam, right? Like the Viet Congs, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, one of their one of their uh, frequent pieces of propaganda was like talking to black GIs, like yeah. through you know radios and speakers and whatever else they could, being like, why are you over here fighting us when you're just gonna go home and get spit on and disrespected yeah. by? Like white Americans, yeah. when you get back, like what what are you fighting for here, man? Yeah, yeah. and that's why I tell them people. And this whole election recount is a distraction. Oh, dude, because I'm telling people why he knows he lost. And I yeah. was going to tweet this. He knows he's lost. He's trying. He's putting new sanctions on Iran every week. And most recently, the nuclear scientist was just assassinated. He's trying to provoke him. And why I tell people, what well, you can say what you want about Iran. That's the last. One of the last stable places in the Middle East. Three million refugees from Afghanistan ran to Iran. Mm-hmm. I think four hundred thousand refugees from Iraq yeah. ran to Iran. Like, and we know there are big terrorist groups right there. I'm like, guys, like, pay attention here. Pe- like, people just there. There are too many people that just assume that everything in the Middle East is the same. Yeah. It, yes, and it's not. <laughs> that, and that's it's not. It. It's no, not. nobody's out here like, oh, you mean Iran is actually like the Persian Empire, and yeah. like they're not in a freaking desert like they're in the yeah. middle of the mountains and yes, like yes. they're not just some like rudimentary like fighting force like they are they are an advanced like technological civilization yes. that like has a a proper like medium-sized military and understands yes 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 and that's what i'm like and that's that's why i love foreign policy because it's it's it, and you learn something new with it every single day and that's mm-hmm. what i'm so obsessed with like one thing about foreign policy it was it was always there when i was, <laughs> didn't feel like going out i was studying it i remember uh <laughs> i i uh before i met asia i got my uh heartbroken one time and then the whole four months i was just staying inside learning about how pakistan got nukes like uh-huh. foreign policy is just it's so mind-blowing to me because you learn so much from it. Mm-hmm. And you get to see, like, hey, they, they're people, too. They have ideas. They have beliefs. Yeah. And um, one thing, I remember calling Father Brown about this, like, 
in Lebanon, there's a lot of Christians and Muslim there. And I was watching um, this documentary on this woman who was a Christian and she converted to Islam for her husband. And we make it seem so complicated in America and it's it's not that hard. People <laughs> just do it because you know you yeah. love somebody. We make it seem like it's a lot of papers and yeah. sheets and documents. I'm like, no, she converted because, and what she said was, uh, before her husband died was, he never yelled at me and he treated me so well. Yeah. Yes, I knew Muslims were people too, but I had to hear and see like, oh, wait a second. He treated his wife like I would treat my wife as a Christian. Yeah. And I'm like, huh. I, I mean, I knew it, but to hear, like, yeah, he never yelled at me. He treated me right. Well, there's there's a yeah. purpose. There's a purpose of building these walls and like making somebody the other. Yes. Like forcing yes. otherism in order to maintain established power. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 And and that's why I'm like, I love it. That's why I study. And hopefully, when this COVID is over, I can uh, go outside and try to apply to that uh, uh, internship out uh, fellowship out there. And 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 that's why I'm like after the hands up act after that uh, whatever influence I have I want to talk about diplomacy like the people who I study and guide me are uh, Nelson Mandela President Mandela uh, Kofi Annan the UN Secretary General President Clinton and uh, President Hoover those are like my four heroes that I try to warp myself to study off of to act like off of and they're guiding me through what I'm doing now with the Hands Up Act, to have that confidence, to have that belief, to have that uh, uh, savviness of like, oh, I see, like, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> that that patience. But uh, most recently, what has inspired me the most, uh, the, the Hands Up Act, um, I most recently, Breonna Taylor's mother has signed a petition and um, Jacob Blake's uncle has signed a petition Antoine Rose's mother signed the petition. Michael Brown's mother signed the petition. Tamir Rice's mother signed the petition. And uh, Daniel Sauver's cousin signed the petition. And I'm like, you gotta, you, you, you gotta believe. I, I mean, that that's the most important thing, is is the belief that something is bigger than me because it anybody can be shot an arm. And whenever I run into that uh, brick wall, I look up and I'm like. <laughs> 250 years of the slavery, they made it. 100 years of segregation, they made it. Uh, they once said, uh, the colonizers once said, Tunisia belongs to the French, uh, South Africa belongs to the British, and uh, Libya belongs to the Italians, but they gained independence. So if they can defeat those odds, if Rosa Parks can sit in the bus and say, you know what? Uh, I'm not moving because of Emmett Till. I can I can move on. I can continue to press on for my hands up act. And I'm like, this is bigger than me. And the people who lost their loved ones believe then it's it's time to push forward. And uh, a, a crazy story that I had to tell you is that uh, the protest in Carbondale where I spoke, uh-huh. uh, when I was marching in that, I actually lost my speech. <laughs> I, I lost my speech. And I remember walking, I was tapping my pockets, and I was like, Asia, telling my fiance, I was like, I lost it. She's like, mm, okay then. <laughs> and and I remember zoning out, listening to that music, and drawing that energy from all those people who were depending on me. And after the speech, people were telling me it gave them chills. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. And then when I went to Chicago, I didn't even write anything down. And I saw that crowd of 5,000 people. I'm like, no, you're going to hear what I have to say because it is important. 
You cannot murder somebody and think it's okay, whether they have a uniform or not a uniform on. And and all my experience and inspiring somebody else that ex- thought they were inferior. Because I know somebody who were scared to speak about race is watching me. And letting them know that you are not two, three-fifths of a person. You're a human being just like anybody else. You're not less than by any means. And, yeah, that just the whole connection of the world is bigger than you and drawing on inspiration from people who stood up against oppression to inspire me to stand up oppression here. We start out with like 100 signatures to 2.7 million and having people watching, it, it, it's, it's a remarkable moment, but I continue to believe that it's bigger than me. Do you give the same speech or do you give different speeches? Oh, different time? speeches every time. Okay. But the only thing that stays consistent is the people who were shot in arm, like Tamir Rice, Philando Castillo, Alton Sterling, Terrence Crutcher, Jacob Blake, Rihanna Taylor. And I hate that jumble sometimes because there's so many names. Yeah. That's the only thing I mess up on. or And I consistently talk about how my father's cousin had his testicle tased by the police. Like, hey, police brutality is very consistent. Or they had drugs planted on them from 1994 to 2015 in Dalton, Alabama. And they're still in jail. Like, th- those parts are consistent. But the speech changes because different crowds for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And... It's going to change the game because Biden won. Yeah. Like, it was like, hey, if you want change, it has to vote. Now that we voted for you, now we're going to press you. Like, hey, yeah. we put you in here. Yep. And even if Biden didn't win, I, I had a plan to get the United Nations involved because it's like no one wants to be labeled as the most racist nation. That hurts tourism. And I was like, Fuck, man, that's okay. I'm, so, I'm sorry to like laugh at that. Like I wasn't expecting for the line to come in and be like, that hurts tourism. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was the plan. To, let me, let me get serious again. <laughs> let me get, let me bring it back down. Cause that's the plan. Nobody wants to visit a racist place. Yeah. And that was the plan. Now I'm like, no, we, I'm going to like, that's what I've told myself. I'm going to tell the United Nations do not come here because they are murdering people without punishment. Mm-hmm. Without any regard, I'm sick and tired of the talking. I and the thing is, I know I know people are watching. I know you know, there's the congressman, senator watching. Mm-hmm. But like, the longer you wait, the more signatures I get, and it's like, where were you at? Yeah. I like what Future said. Like, where were you at? Because <laughs> 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 for when I was at four hundred thousand for that whole month period, that was enough. That's half the state of Delaware, half uh-huh. the population of Delaware. Now in two point seven, that's the population of Chicago. It, it's 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 there and 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 it's growing. I'm so happy and thankful from Iomi from Impact Demand, where she invited me out in front of Wisconsin, and I got to speak in front of Capitol. I got to see all these people that believe, and um, I've learned a lot. I learn. I've learned a lot of things, like just stepping back and seeing how people view the police, how they feel about things, how they're trying to change the world, because uh, there's more than one problem. I can tell you that. What um, what have you what have you gotten a feel for, in, in better understanding how media amplifies the message, <laughs> right? Like I like we were talking before the podcast. I was like, the Travis that is now yeah. is like, you know, the the constant evolution of the Travis that was three years ago when I first met you and whatever else. And it's like I've seen from step one how you have gotten more ingratiated in media and an understanding of how to work with amplifying your message through mm-hmm. that. 
Uh, I love what Malcolm X says. Media is the most powerful entity in the world because it can make an innocent mean, an innocent man seem guilty and a guilty man seem innocent. And that's how media works. And that's what I tell you with the whole Russian thing. I'm like, while we're blaming them, our Department of Defense spending went up to $768 billion. Uh-huh. NATO is at record spending. Like, hey, guys, like, <laughs> I'm kind of hungry here. We got a homeless problem uh-huh. here. Because <laughs> I know, I know, and it can, it can shape and make somebody seem like a bad human being. And that's why I, I get sick of Islamophobia because there's 420 million people that speak Arabic or, and, are, and uh, there's a billion Muslims out there who are innocent and don't want to die just like I don't want to die, who, mm-hmm. wanna, who are doctors and lawyers just like you and me. And, and I've learned that media can change and manipulate people to thinking something is possible when it's impossible. Or like, for example, they said Jacob Blake had a weapon on him. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And I saw how media shaped that. But it turned out to be false. Mm-hmm. And that that's one thing I'm I hate to get off topic, but I'm really scared about how easily we can Photoshop things. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, for you to Photoshop like a weapon in somebody's hand, mm-hmm. like, uh no. That that that's not okay. And it was reported that like, no, that's a fake image. Yeah, media is um uh, uh what's the word? <sighs> Wow, I used to talk about it. How they uh, it used to be a law where they used to regulate it a little mm-hmm. bit. So, so I, I talked to Jack Titchener about this. Yeah, uh, a handful of episodes. Fairness ago. doctrine. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That's it. You yeah. got it. No, go, man. It's your interview. Yeah, you um, um, yeah. The fairness doctrine. <laughs> I'm like, they need to really bring that back. I know uh-huh. it disappeared after '82, but we really need it, especially the way social media is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much information. I'm a journalist. Um, I've been published. I'm written stuff about the Afghan uh, stand peace deal in COVID-19, but I, I'm educated and I specialize in North Africa, Middle East issues, and I know I'm qualified versus somebody who can just post something on the blog and not watch Al Jazeera or TRT <laughs> World. I'm uh-huh. like, where are you getting this information from? I'm like, hey, like, you know, there's people out there, right? Like, that like, breathe. Are there and observing. And, like, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. sharing that back in the form of news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in, in, in the way me and CNN, because it's the largest uh, news source, like, when I was doing my diplomacy class, they're like, are y'all really going to vote for Kanye? I was like, no, we're not. We're going to have a few people. And if we are, I told them consistent voters are not going to vote for Kanye. Yeah. People who know Medicaid is on the line who know that climate change is on the line, who know criminal justice reform is on the line, are not going to vote for Kanye. Mm-hmm. Even, even better yet, even the Trump supporters who um, believe that he's going to bring in these jobs, who really truly believe or, or, or benefited from his tax cut, mm-hmm. I'm not going to vote for some random celebrity. But the way that it looks to them, it's like, oh. And that's why I'm like, wow. Why do you even give that time? Yeah. Like if you if you know something is strictly for the mm-hmm. purposes of, you know, arguably entertainment value, yes. right? Which is a, a good description of a lot of you know Donald Trump's activities, yeah. right? That that it is the reality TV show uh-huh. side of things and making it a spectacle versus, like you said earlier, the actual policy implications yes. of the actions taken with a pin. Yeah, I heard somebody say like, "Oh, I really hate Trump, President Trump today." I'm like, "What do you do today?" That's just how I look at it. Yeah. And this is how I see the brand. I'm like, uh, I, I want to focus on the policies. Focus on how the tax could affect the people. Focus on how uh, what the unemployment numbers are. F- focus on that. Mm-hmm. Focus on that. Because I, I don't care what type of suit he wore. I don't care if he eat McDonald's on the plane. I, fo- I care about the homeless person or the person on WIC trying to feed their child. Mm-hmm. 
or the $6 billion cut from HUD. I, I remember um, going from my U.S. Senate internship going down to Cairo and seeing all those people lose their house. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the Newman Center and praying for hours that day because that could have been me. And I remember I was so angry because my little brother missed some homework assignments. I remember screaming at him. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to. But I was like, you don't understand the opportunity mom and dad just gave us. Yeah. Seeing all those people lose their houses. He didn't talk to me for a few days. And I don't somewhat regret it, but I don't because I saw 4,000 people lose their homes. Yeah. Because Ben Carson cut from HUD. I'm in the Trump administration cut $6 billion from public aid. Like, those are policies. I don't care that he wears the red tie over and over again. <laughs> He's president. Yeah. Like, fo- focus on the policy. And one thing that I have that kind of sucks I see before that other people don't have is I see things happen before everybody else does. And, like, this whole unemployment rate number automatically dropped down. You All you did was cut unemployment benefits, mm-hmm. and you don't count those people anymore, and your numbers shrink. That's yeah. what the, the, and that's what people miss. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, it's, unemployment's just gone down. No, no, no. You, you, you no longer become a statistic when you are not part of the data set. And I've been trying to write it. Look, this will be my own side of source. <laughs> I, I do have to work on my writing. I yeah. remember writing this. I had Father Brown check it. That's how Reagan was able to lower his unemployment rate. Uh-huh. What he did was in 1982 or 1981, he passed a, a, a bill to cut uh, unemployment benefits by like $60, $30 billion. Uh-huh. And I remember the unemployment rate dropped from 12% all the way down to 8%. Mm-hmm. What he did was he just cut the benefits. Mm-hmm. The economy didn't change. And when you cut the benefits, you're no longer counted. Yeah. And the only president, the people whose whose unemployment numbers were accurate are President Clinton and President Bush, because Bush extended unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he they're like, oh yeah, his economy sucked. Don't like I, I had disagree with a lot of his policies, especially somebody who loves foreign policy. Yeah, <laughs> but he extended unemployment benefits twice. Uh-huh. So and that's why I'm looking at Trump, President Trump. He's not extending unemployment benefits. Yeah. I'm like those people in COVID don't have jobs. They don't. They don't. And all our homelessness is about to increase. Triple. Oh, dude, it's it's terrifying. And it's, I love my hands up act. I do, but COVID has to come first. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm I'm Tamir Rice, Alton Sterling, Philando Castillo. That's they are in my heart. But we can't protest if we can't go outside. Yeah, and we're at 1.5 million deaths globally. The United Nations, President Trump cut you know a billion dollars from the United Nations. Like mm-hmm. I'm like this is kind of this is genocide. You're, you're cutting funding from people trying. Yeah. To stop this, and, they, and people people miss the understanding of like what sponsoring or not sponsoring activity means. Yes, right. Like it feels real direct when we spend billions of dollars on missiles that we know are intended to blow shit up and kill people. Yes, but we don't think about it in terms of oh, okay, well because we cut you know mm. millions of dollars, not quite billions, but millions of dollars out of um, you know. Uh, uh, reproductive healthcare access that we would suffice for yes. in four nations that that led to, uh, you know, terminal uh, healthcare uh, issues related to pregnancy, you know, yes. whether, whether that is miscarriages mm-hmm. or, you know, the deaths of mothers in labor or just, you know, a, a failure of any other type of, uh, you know, uh, birth related healthcare. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's wild to me. 
Yeah, and what I tell people, speaking of which, I, look, I love this show. You can go anywhere. Yeah, that's it. Uh, there's a reason why I want, I do, my goal one day is to uh, live in a different country, study there. But I want my kids born in Africa because I, I saw this one report on, um, I think, unusual deaths or unusual causes where it says uh, the infant death in America is higher than Africa in South America. Mm-hmm. You know, the countries that we look at, all these brown and black people are inferior to us, mm-hmm. but they have more success of infant birth and children, not babies being born, not dying mm-hmm. than we do. I'm like, that's where our money needs to go. Yeah. Not like you said. And that's why I love the triple D, diplomacy, 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 because that saves money. Yeah. That's important. That's a human being. And I, that's why I love Al Jazeera and TRT World and Democracy Now! because it brings humanity to those people. And um, like, and going back to what you were talking about with media, like I just found out, I love this. I saw this, found this out uh, the other day. I actually, last night, what I told my fiance is that, uh, I, you know how we have sanctions on Venezuela. And I told her, relations with Venezuela has been bad since 2002 because Hugo Chavez threatened to cut oil supplies to President Bush if he invades Iraq. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and we try to commit a coup, and we fail. But that's why our relations have been tainted ever since. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like, that's an important part of history, and just said of saying, "Oh, Venezuela, they're evil." Yeah. Like, hey, guys, th- there's a reason why yeah. our relations are bad, and that goes back to media. Like, hey, guys, we have to hear the brown and black people's perspective, mm-hmm. the Muslims' perspective. Like, it, it, it's it's all connected. It really is. Man. No, the the touch back on the Russia side of things, right? You were talking about, yeah. uh, you know, all, all the different components there. It's like we've we've never actually stopped having a cold war <laughs> with Russia, right? Like at the end of the day, yeah. like and, we, um, it, it, you know, Vladimir Putin is a remnant of the Soviet Union, yeah. And, you know, the, the you know, entrenched state uh-huh. power structure that B, and I can't remember who I was talking to a couple podcasts ago about this, but, like, in my, in my, in my like, my post-Soviet Russia mm-hmm. class that I, that I took, like, junior, senior year, whatever mm-hmm. it was, it was like we, the, the phrase was, you go into, in, in America, you go into business to get into politics. In Russia, you go into politics to get into business. <laughs> right? When, yeah, they have problems, every like we do. But one thing I tell people, uh, I, 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 I love foreign policy so much, is that <laughs> Secretary of State James Baker under President H.W. Bush, Daddy Bush is what people like, Dr. Don, who like to say Daddy Bush, <laughs> said, we, after the Soviet Union, uh, I mean, I believe it was the Soviet Union that collapsed, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after they collapsed, or was was it Soviet Union USSR? Well, I mean, I mean, you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad student of yeah. history. Either so way, like, I, I, I would, you yeah. know, what, what, what is? Are they the same? Is the Soviet Union the USSR? Yeah. Whatever. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, like, when people say Soviet, they think, you know, any what, what was the collection of states yes. under, uh, you know, what is now Russia. Pre eighty nineteen eighty nine. So yes, yeah, Soviet Union it fell uh, in nineteen ninety, and it was an agreement by uh, Secretary of State James Baker. Not one inch eastward. Uh huh. Not one inch eastward will we expand NATO. Right. 
And my favorite president, Bill Clinton, broke that promise. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Boris Yeltsin, who's just trying to improve relations with the West, let uh, NATO expand all the way over to Poland mm-hmm. in 1999. And now we have 30 countries under NATO. And it's like almost as if, you know, Russia's completely surrounded. And we have nuclear weapons in Poland, mm-hmm. right outside of Russia's doors. And for people at home, that's like Ameri- That's like Russia giving nuclear weapons to Mexico. Yeah. I would be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have no problems with beef with Mexico, but I would be pissed. Like, uh-huh. what do you mean? Why you have nukes there? So that's why I say th- that explains why they're angry. Yeah. And that, that's important. We promised in 1991, even, I cannot remember his name, the German chancellor promised not to expand NATO. Mm-hmm. When we, they gave us, when uh, I believe after the Berlin Wall, when uh, West Germany got part of East Germany and formed one Germany country, which, you know, Germany has a bad history, World War One and World War Two. Let's mm-hmm. not, like, let them get their land back. And we expand NATO, like, nine years later. I'm like, that's why our relations is bad. Like, like I said, I would not like it at all if there was nukes outside. Well, and, and it's yeah. such a sh- it's such a short timeline. People people think we live in like this bubble where it's just the here and now that exists, but it's like, no, you know, it, it's only been thirty years. Yeah, yes, since yes, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yes. Like that's that's literally history. just as old as I mean, I'm 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 thirty one. How old are you? Twenty six. Twenty six. So, right. So like, it's just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Outside of our memorable lifetimes, yes, but like it's fresh in the minds of our parents. Yeah, and but <laughs> some parents don't know that we weren't supposed to expand NATO. Yeah, and and that's why I'm obsessed with history, and that's why I love Malcolm X. Said he's like, that's what's wrong with you. You don't know your history, <laughs> and that's why I'm like, that's what's wrong with everybody about being angry about Russia. I'm like, wait, hold on, guys, we weren't supposed to have nuclear weapons outside of their borders, like you know, Mexico or or or. Even Haiti having nuclear weapons, yeah. like whoa, that's, like that's that, close. Yeah, that, that we would be, we wouldn't be happy about that. And that's why I tell people, like, hey, is the world's bigger than just you? Yeah, it really is. And um, raising a level of consciousness is is that's why I'm I'm so thankful I took African studies because this is how colonized my mind was. I didn't want to take it. Uh-huh. Ms. Matthews, my academic advisor, forced me to take it, and I was interested right after the first day of class. He, uh, Father Brown came in and said, the writing that they're doing in Ferguson is justifiable. And I'm like, wait, what? Why would you say such a thing? <laughs> it's something so controversial. Uh-huh. And I remember going to, this was before I was as educated as I was, going to my ROTC class saying that I wasn't educated enough. And they're like, they're destroying their own neighborhood. And I was like, it's justifiable. That's all I have. But now that I have <laughs> the knowledge I do now, uh-huh. I'm like, well, when in, and uh, during the American Revolution, when, uh, I believe his name is Atticus. Uh, the black, it was a black dude who was a runaway slave, ran towards the British. He was part of the people that were shot an arm in the American Revolution. Uh-huh. They they rioted too. And I'm like, that that's an important part. And we're in, you know, this is why I wanted to be in the military. Like, hey, like this is what created the U.S. Army. Like uh-huh. unarmed shootings is what created us and the reason why we're employed. And like raising that level of consciousness is just so important because like a lot of people just roll their eyes. Like that's why there's a reason why I always call my friend uh, uh, Daryl every single day, mm-hmm. Daryl Hill, because it's like he's the only one that sometimes keeps up with me, that understands, or like, or or that's why I call almost Father Brown all the time, or even my granny. My granny understands. Mm-hmm. Um, every single year, I'm kind of sad I won't be able to see her this year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. 
every single year we talk about who which generation has it harder, right? <laughs> I just talk stuff to her. <laughs> and um I get Sydney Portier movies. I love I'm a movie fan. I love all types of movies. Mm-hmm. I always get black and white movies, it doesn't matter. Watch where every single year for New Year's for the past five years. And I always tell her like, well, I'm gonna go. Well, I have to, what type of racism I have to fight, or what my hands up at. And she always tells me when she was on, remembers the day when LBJ said on TV, "We shall overcome." And I'm like, that's all she ever says when I talk stuff. I'm like, oh, or the road ahead of me, like, "We shall overcome." And I'm like, well, she grew up in Mississippi. That's good enough for me, like <laughs> in the '60s. So she knows what she's saying. Do you, Do you think part of that is 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 a want to put? Uh, a, a best foot forward to future generations, like coming coming from your grandma, being like, I'm not gonna sit here and dwell on, uh, you know, the 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 highly problematic, like institutionalized yeah. structures of racism uh-huh. that you know led to violence and death, uh, you know, and and economic, um, uh, you know, forced economic shortcomings and all that other stuff. Like, is she just trying to push, like, you know what, forget all that, like. Here's what the progress was. Here's yes. here's the one shining light amidst all this other BS around yes. it. Yes, yeah. And she always is like, she's like, every single generation should make it easier for the next one. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you guys got it easy, but she's like, that was the goal. Like that. And my granny always called to her um, and asked her, you would think, and she watches the news every day. Th- this is where my love of news. My parents didn't let my brother and I watch TV Monday through Friday. Uh-huh. All they would have on is sports, and because my dad's a huge basketball guy uh-huh. and football, that's why my brother has his obsession with sports. <laughs> and the news was always on for me. And I just that like WGN or when I was with my granny, you know how you wake up early for Saturday night cartoons. Mm-hmm. My granny would have WGN on, and that's where my love of like news come from. Uh-huh. Like just that whole. And like now that I have this obsession with news, with the consciousness, with how the news pres- uh, portrays itself, I'm like, oh, I'm a bad man now. So <laughs> is that something that that you were really able to latch on to uh, interning with the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute? Yes. Like because of Paul Simon's background, you know, in media and using that to you know to transition into you know you know direct impact through policymaking. Yes. Yes. With uh, Paul Simon Institute gave me one heck of an opportunity. I remember I applied. I didn't get it the first time. I was a junior. I was upset about it because, you, you know, I came into that interview prepared. Any yeah. question they had, I had. I was ready for it, but I was a junior. And they gave it to a senior. Um, then I came back the second time, and I've learned a lot watching those state reps. I really did. It's a busy place. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh, if I was a state rep, I would talk to everybody. No, that's tiresome. It really is. There's not them being mean or a jerk. It's just... Once again, you got 100 issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody like me, the 100 issues to me is always going to be foreign policy, but 100 issues in the state. And because Illinois is a democratic state, you know people are like, and now I went in there when Trump first won, President mm-hmm. Trump first won. And I was like, I've never seen the Capitol so filled. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's always packed. But I guarantee it was, it was double that. Because this is a blue state. You just got a red president. And we had to worry about Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that was that. That's cool, man. That's cool. I, it just, it's, it is a, is a gem of a place to have and the, the access that it provides beyond its own four walls is, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you're an example of just how, like, how, big. You know, how influential that activity can be. Yeah, it's just is one is is one is one opportunity that I needed and that in the mixture of books just opened up 
uh, so many doors, books and that, like, and just watching, like, I've always been a visual learner, just watching the news. When people ask, like, how you get so far, I'm like, uh, all I have to do is just click. Like, all you have to do is lay there and watch TRT World, and you learn, uh-huh. like, Al Jazeera. Like, this whole thing, I, I told my, I sent my brother a screenshot of, uh, I was like, I bet you never even heard of Azerbaijan or Armenia. He's like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> but all I did was watch it, and it's like, I don't want to say I'm an expert on it, but I was like, I know what everything is going Dude, on. I know how it's going to end. It, it was while my uh, my best friend, uh, he spent three years in the Peace Corps in Azerbaijan, yeah. like in uh, the mountainous regions, mm-hmm. uh, like northeast, I think. Uh-huh. I, I I don't remember exactly, but like it was, it was all, like near the border with Armenia and like, is it yeah. where the Nagoro Karabakh is? Uh, so, so yes. not not the not where the actual conflict region okay. was, but, but um, just west of the conflict region uh-huh. uh, itself by like maybe forty miles, <laughs> something like that. And he, I mean, he he lost like you know this has been mm-hmm. a, a little a little less than a decade, right? So you know he he would have been teaching kids that are 10, 12 years old, whatever that like yeah, like he he's got like he's got what would be family from there um that that died like yeah, in, in, yeah. in the conflict and holy crap the fact that that conflict came to such a screeching halt Woo! now yes now let's talk we can about talk the, about that yes the, 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 the despair that that's that is why yeah. that's why we spend so much damn money on military like infrastructure uh-huh. is because when you show a disparity like that like yeah. that that seems to chill most conflicts now would it be like that with China or with yeah. Russia? Not exactly, but like with smaller nations, like because because of mm-hmm. Armenia's capabilities, like having drones, yeah, having like advanced weaponry and things like that. While um, uh, while Armenia was just fighting with your traditional foot soldiers and like yeah. standard munitions and and standard artillery and things like that, like that that is that is horses versus tanks, yeah. And this is what, uh, oh man, this is I got so much to say about that. <laughs> and this is why I told Azerbaijan and Armenia what the United Nations said. They wanted to stop that stop that war right away because yeah. they said they would end up like Syria in months. Oh yeah, because uh, Syria, uh, we can talk about that one later. Yeah. <laughs> but Syria has eight million refugees for the people at home. But they they have they're a decent rich country. But Azerbaijan, they said, has an ocean full of oil. Oh, yeah. I knew they had, and they said they've been planning and buying weapons for the last twenty five years. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm 26. I'm like, let me tell you something. That's a lot of weapons. Yeah. And I knew it was going to end. That's why I'm like happy it stopped. And that's why I don't like it when people say, oh, Russia's evil. That's in the other. Russia stopped that war. Turkey also stopped that war. And Russia put peacekeeping troops out there to make sure that uh, Azerbaijan won't come back. But when I was watching the interview, I know the United Nations says Armenia was occupying that land. But there was 100,000 people that lived there in that land for 25 years. And they all just lost their homes. And I bet you a lot of them don't even know that they were occupying land. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy the Armenian president signed the peace deal because, like he said, like I heard somebody from RT America, sometimes fighting to the last drop of blood isn't the best thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they're going to come back and attack again. And I'm like, how do you stop something like that? Mm -hmm. Because they're going to come back. Armenia is going to come back. I hope they don't. But I'm like... The people in Armenia are mad because they're like, oh, he signed a peace deal. But I'm like, guys, this is a, it's a peace deal. Azerbaijan, they won the war. But I'm like, you just took all those 100,000 people's homes. Like, 
I know they were occupying there, but that's been 25 years. There had to be a better way instead of just fighting. And I'm, I'm glad it ended. And I, I just like, it's, it's not, it's not going to end well because it's like all those people, you got 15-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 12-year-olds who are now seeing uh, uh, somebody just take their land. Mm-hmm. Like they said with the uh, Iraq war, how we should just accept the president Hussein stepping down. Like 2003 to 2020, there's 17 year olds, and all they know is war. And that is scary. I mean, it's 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 so much more than that. I mean, I, Afghanistan is a great example of that because it's yeah. you know it's Alexander the Great and and before right have has been a a place where the land has seen warfare and the people have had to deal with the repercussions of their nation simply being subject to you know, what what is constant war. It's like at some point in time, that just becomes what people know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- it's wild to look at things like Afghan University from the 1970s yeah. where it looked very westernized. Yeah. Right. And, and see that, okay, that was, that was just 50 years ago. Yeah. Right, forty-five years ago, uh-huh. and and now a major change mm-hmm. in a different way to to a much more conservative form. Um, yeah, of uh, governance, but it's like is what what is what is real in all that? Like, if there was this seventy years ago, yeah. but then there is this thirty years ago but if you look back 500 years there's this it's like wait give me give me something that, <laughs> that can like, hold on to but but there but there's not because that's what happens when when places are forced into a constant state of of change and fluctuation because there are other powers that be that want to yes. try and take resources out of there or utilize the land for you know pass through for commerce or something like that and they just see their own economic interest as greater than any one civilization's right to be itself or or you can you know just employ them to give you the resource like (laughs) (laughs) sounds like you know guys you you know you just pay them like because american money is worth more than ours like if you give them a thousand dollars like that can employ like 2,000 people yeah. to give you the resource that, you know, you want. And everybody wins. Yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. But, yeah, the whole um, – I will say this. I'm going to give President Trump credit. If this peace – because I wrote my policy, the peace deal wasn't going to go through. Mm-hmm. But if he pulls all these troops out, and this is what it goes back to this media thing, I think it's a good thing. We need to leave. Mm-hmm. Give him that. And then when I hear my friend, um, I don't want to put his name on blast, he's hearing on MSNBC like, oh, Trump is betraying our allies by pulling mm-hmm. us out of uh, Afghanistan. I'm like, guys, I, I think, it's a good I think thing I, we're I think I got a news notification earlier today yeah. that for the first time in 19 years, the the regional Taliban uh, forces uh, as and, and the in the uh, established Afghan government – have put on paper a peace deal. I don't know if they've signed it yet. Yeah. But that like they are they are that they are at least real close to it. Uh-huh. Now, we've been close before. The question is, you know, does it come through this time? Does it hold this time? Mm-hmm. Whatever. And is removal of troops yeah. from the area an influence on that? Yes. And I hope so. I ho- I I would like to think so. Uh and this I remember, and this is why uh, uh, I, I I'm just gonna go from it because 
how we got how we got here is always a question. I remember in first grade watching 9-11 happen on the TV screen. And it, it it's it's stuck into my head to this day. I can tell you where I was. My mom was ringing off the hook. So 19 years later, I'm recruiting students to come to SIU, and all they know is that we've been in Afghanistan. And we fought in this war, and one of the accomplishments was we um, changed the Afghan constitution to get put women's rights in there in 2004 so women can go to college and this, that, and the other and get jobs. The Taliban, they take back over, want to take all that progress away. And I'm like... So there's a lot of American troops that actually died to change this constitution. This is a complex situation. Mm-hmm. So if we take our troops out and they take over, all those people that died to change this constitution goes away. But I, I like that they're signing the peace deal. I didn't like that they freed 5,000 Taliban prisoners in exchange for like a, a peace deal. But was that was that part of the most recent? I, yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah, that was part of the peace deal. I was like, you want the Afghan government to release five thousand prisoners? That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, okay, but they did it, and I was like, okay, please, because I like, and I don't want them to get them, and then they attack and all that. Because Kabul, I want that place to be very stable, because it's like they got a university there, they got a city. You need something economically yeah. to give people hope. Like, yeah. just don't touch that city. I, and I hate to say forget, don't forget about the rural people. We need, to, but we need something strong to, you know, send uh, infrastructure out because Afghanistan got this thing called a blue mosque. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful place. I've seen it, and I'm like, that's tourism money right there. Yeah. And so Trump administration, I know they cut. I know in uh, back in 2014, President Obama said we were going to leave. He cut the troop withdrawal from 100,000 to 16,000, mm-hmm. and then Trump got it from 16,000 to 8,000. I want them all going before he leaves. Mm-hmm. I will give him props. I'll give him credit. I'll give him a hoo-hoo because 19 years is long enough. Yeah. It's long enough. And and you're, you don't have the mindset that that's just going to be a destabilizing action. And, I mean, and arguably, again, we're, we're talking about right now, well, what are, the mo- what are the motions that are being gone through right now in peace talks? So, okay, yeah. if there's peace talks that are that are work, I mean, and, and you know, let's throw the, let's throw the third – um, you know, the third actor into that in the mix of the Taliban, um, the Afghan government, uh, you know, third would be, you know, uh, remnants of ISIS, right? Okay. Well, are, are there, are there mix, you know, is there a mix of the Afghan government and, um, you know, the Taliban that say, listen, okay, we want to agree to create a cohesive, uh, you know, government and um, uh, we will suppress any extremism that comes out of uh, you know, the remnants of ISIS, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like there's not a, there's not blueprints for this shit before in most modern, uh, you know, political cultures, right? Like Ireland and Sin Fin. Yeah. And the- <laughs> Speaking of the crown, but go right. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> like yeah. the, 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 uh, you know, actually going from a, uh, you know, a, an opposition uh, force or, or, rebel force or however you want to refer to them, right. Or the occupied force that the folks mm-hmm. that were being colonized, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know enough about it to be able yes. to speak. Like I've yeah. only written one paper on it and it wasn't very good. So, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, but it is to say that like, there's, there's something there that says, listen, there can be people that go from a violent fighting force to uh, a, a political party that is just as much a part of governance as anything else. Um, and, and, We've got blueprints for that all over this world. Uh-huh. The ANC. Uh, yeah. Yeah, ANC was considered a terrorist organization to 
Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and President Reagan. But now the ANC is Nelson Mandela's main party in South Africa. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I, I was like, because Melvin, you know, that's my hero. Like, uh-huh. that's my, that's my boy. <laughs> uh, but I was like, I was like, you would consider a terrorist organization? And that's like, like in 2013 when I was a freshman, I was like, oh, Nelson Mandela died. That's sad. And I remember getting chills to when I study up on him. And I'm like, whoa, you guys are considered terrorists? I was like, whoa. Yeah. And now you're running the country and you're calling out other uh, countries when they're committing uh, notorious crimes, and I'm like, yeah. the world changes, man. Well, and and the question is right, and th- and this goes back to that core tenet of this conversation, which yeah. has been external influence. And the the question on the other side of external influence is what happens when your external influence turns to internal influence? Yeah, right. And do you have the character to carry through with the policy efforts that actually work to achieve your goals as opposed to continuing to antagonize simply for the sake of that's how you've continued to operate, right? And something like truth and reconciliation, Yep. right, where everybody puts it on the table. This is what we did. Yeah. This is what we do to fix it because we all exist in this space and there's nothing that's going to change the past, but we are going to change the future if we act accordingly. And that's what... um there's so many other African leaders, but uh, that's what President Mandela said. Um, and that's why I love that image. I love AP News archives. I love looking at all those old photos of yeah. even um, Isaac Rabin shaking hands with Yasser Arafat. I just love AP archives, like seeing those old photos. Um, I've seen President Mandela shake the hand of Queen Elizabeth II mm-hmm. when the British came to South Africa. It was a remarkable image to me. It was, and he, President Mandela, after all the things he went through, still called her Your Majesty. I'm like, hey, <laughs> like, whoa, like, and, and um, he's, and I love what Nelson Mandela said. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, um, what do you say? Wanting revenge is like drinking poison. You're only hardening yourself. He's like, forgiveness is the cure. And I'm like, wow, that. And when you think about it, you know how you just see, oh, Nelson Mandela served 27 years to liberate South Africa. I was watching this one documentary where it showed his face, and I actually saw the pain in his face. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you sacrificed a lot. You were in relations with your daughter and, 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 and wife and kids. But at the same time, you inspired millions. You're inspiring me, who's about to change America. The sacrifice he did, it might have been, uh, it was huge, but that, the influence globally is inspiring me to like, hey, if he can do 27 years, I can, you know, get a few more people to sign my petition. <laughs> like, like and, and, and accepting that there are people who always try. Um, and what people forget, like, seeing, this is why I love Democracy Now! archives, seeing that there are, there are always people still fighting, like, Congressman, Congresswoman Maxine Waters was calling out the Bush administration for a coup in Haiti. She was still fighting. And she was fighting the Reagan administration with the war on drugs. But we just look at her as just Auntie Maxine. I'm like, no, this woman has a history of fighting. Seeing Secretary Kerry, Secretary of State uh, John Kerry, I saw him when he was a senator being anti-Vietnam, anti-war, him fighting. And I'm like, you have to... Uh, or Senator Kennedy, um, JFK's, I believe, brother, saying that um, George Bush, uh, George Bush Iraq War is his is is the new Vietnam. Like seeing these people fighting, 
and 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 grasping that you are not alone in your struggle. Yeah, it might be different ideas or different realms of getting there, but this universal struggle where you're brown, black, or white, <laughs> just just fighting because that affects you. You have kids, right? Yeah. That you 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 don't want your because segregation hurts everybody. Because uh, <laughs> let's just say the best doctor uh, preventing that doctor. Preventing that, uh, no, the, what I read in the book is that they closed down a whole facility just to make sure black people couldn't integrate in that facility. But when they closed it down, they were losing taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. They were losing tourism dollars. And that was less funding for the white schools. And you already know there's no funding for the black schools. <laughs> there's even less funding. And I'm like, so that's how segregation hurts everybody. And, and like, there's a job opportunity there that somebody brown, black, or white may be able to fill. But if you don't give it to them, that job's not being filled, and that's less tax revenue. And, and, and it's like it's, it's all connected. Oppression hurts everybody. It really does. And like I said, police brutality hurts everybody. One thing I always say is that what happens to black people will eventually happen to white people. Uh, I was reading Ida B. Wells' uh, Southern Horror Story where she said uh, a man, white man raped this 10-year-old black girl. That white and and he served six months in prison, and then he was hired back by the Memphis uh, Nashville Police Force. After serving six months in jail for rape, you hired into the police force. Fast forward from eighteen, let's just say, I think that book was written like nineteen oh two. Fast forward from nineteen oh two to twenty nineteen, you find out two white male police officers throw a white woman in the back of a car and sexually assault her, and then nine, nine police officers wait outside her hospital bed. They're all white. What happens to us eventually happens to you. And that's why people have to understand. Uh, even that Iraq war that we're all the way over in, um, spending $5 trillion, that's preventing us from getting our sidewalks filled over here. And then when you damage your car riding over a pothole, you got to spend money to fix it. Like, everything is connected. Like Bob Marley says, what goes around comes around. We've come around to the end of the podcast. Yeah. Um, Stellar, I hope you took as much away from this as I was able to uh, keep an eye on Mr. Travis Washington. Uh, he's not just gone places. He's going places. Uh, and he's probably going to take you with him uh, along the way. Cause it's not just a one person sort of deal. Yeah. Uh, I think you made that clear in this conversation. Uh, episode 28 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, Travis Washington. Uh, have a good one, whatever Thank that you. one. Thank you so Maybe. much for having me. Happy to have you, man. Yeah. It was, it was a great conversation. Uh, wait, what's your favorite? Oh, were you done recording? I mean, 